0: Does even the idea of dealing with a lawyer raise your stress level? Lawyer jokes are as abundant as mother-in-law jokes, and it was over 200 years ago that Shakespeare wrote, first thing we do, let's kill all the lawyers. But today's guest is changing the very definition and practice of law and mediation. What if lawyers were peacemakers, problem solvers, and healers of conflicts, our guest asks. How could that impact communication in your most acrimonious and intimate relationships. J. Kim Wright is here to help set us free.
1: Welcome to the How To Be Free podcast. I'm Stephen Francis.
0: And I'm Michelle Duke Catlin. Stay with us as we explore how to create freedom with our most adversarial issues in just one week.
1: J. Kim Wright is an integrative lawyer, innovator, and systems change agent. She is a pioneer in integrative law and the founder of Cutting Edge Law, a social purpose organization of independent collaborators who are working to create a new kind of legal system, one built on a shared vision and values. She's also an author, an international traveller and lecturer, a great-grandmother and more. Her friends say she must be 100 years old to have done as much as she has done. And by her incredible bio, and, and I was beginning to get nervous there, I thought we might need an episode, just a half-hour episode, just <laughs> for your bio, Kim. Uh, it's, it's very clear to me why, and it's clear also that you're a complete powerhouse. So I'm honoured and delighted that you would choose to join us. Thank you, Kim, for being here.
2: Thank you. I, I want to I say something about Let's Kill All the Lawyers. Mm because that's such a famous quote. Mm. And it actually was, if you want to take over a society, exactly. first you kill all the lawyers. The
1: first thing you do is kill the lawyers because you destroy the rule of law. Yeah, yeah. It's the Scottish play, isn't it? I think it's from, I think.
2: No, for Henry VI, I
0: think. Yeah,
1: yeah. But people, people often cite that as a joke against exactly. lawyers, but it's actually very pro-lawyer. So, yes. uh, yeah. And yeah.
0: certainly today we need lawyers more than ever.
1: Yes, that's the truth. Yes. All right. So... Um, we like to start our podcast by asking our guests, uh, "What does freedom mean to you?"
2: When I uh, when I think about that question, I I remember my second ex husband, who was a libertarian activist, and uh, ran for office many times. Uh, used to used to hang out when. Uh, when presidential candidates came through town, they stayed at our house and you know, that sort of thing. And um and his quote was freedom is the goal and responsibility is the price. And so um so I, I think that's my my first thought. And then um my second thought is Harry Brown's book, How I Found Freedom in an Unfree World. <laughs> and um and uh, that book is uh, it's ancient. It's yeah. ancient. That's a uh, good one. My, I was married to, have, to my um, ex back in my 20s. So it's been, you know, 40 years ago. Um, so that book was popular then. And um, Harry Brown wrote about that, uh, that uh, true freedom is being able to accept the consequences of your actions and to make choices about those. And so those are yeah. my first thoughts about freedom
1: yeah. it's so funny i was dipping back into into that book just a little while ago he has a great book on investment And if anyone's listening that's brown with an e b-r-o-w-n-e harry brown uh, we can put that in the show notes too so yeah yeah i mean that and that those are corollaries of each other right i mean accepting them, accepting responsibility and taking responsibility are uh, two sides of the, the same coin so so um I, I thought we'd start with some background on your very uh, broad and, and and deep path, I would almost call it a prolific path. Um, how how does one arrive at? How did you arrive at this extraordinary purpose of of transforming the legal system? Because you know, a, a, a legal system built on a shared vision and values uh, is quite different from w- what we would seem to have right now. I mean, common law emerges, of course, but nonetheless starting over consciously that's that's a big purpose that's a big mission so how did you arrive at that
2: well that might take an entire afternoon but i'll oh. try <laughs> i'll try <laughs> to pull together a few threads here sure so i went to law school because the said ex-husband uh, had a history of civil disobedience and between us we had collected seven children who shared nine parents um, and stepchildren, ha- you know, half-siblings and so forth. And uh, there was always a reason to go to court. And, uh, and we decided somebody in the family should be a lawyer. That was the most cost-effective way.
1: It was like a DIY.
2: Yeah. I had no idea. I, you know, I'd always been good in school. I had no idea. I, we didn't know any lawyers. I, I You know, I, I was a first-generation college graduate. And, um, and so I went to law school, and then I met my colleagues. And um, so there was this one time, I'm, I'm one of those people who does a lot of different projects at one time. So I had seven children at home when I started law school. I, uh, w- uh, he, he was a libertarian activist, and uh, we uh, me. Uh, <laughs> was resp- I was responsible for the newsletter for the state of Florida. Um, we were homeschooling our children. Uh, we had a, a federal lawsuit going on. Um, and um, let's see what else was going on. Um, oh, and we had a business, a taxi business. Right. And so I went to law school, and of course, I volunteered <laughs> to do various projects. Yeah and And I made pretty good grades, especially my first semester. And there and some of my colleagues came to me and said, "We think you're doing too much." Mm. And I was mm. shocked. Like first of all, I didn't know who they were. Mm. And why were they talking to me? And but they said, "We know that your husband's a libertarian activist and a tax protester, and we also um, know that you are in a cash business." So um, to distract you from all of these other things you're doing, we have reported you to the IRS for investigation, oh, the Internal well, the, Revenue Service.
1: That's one way to do it.
2: And I, oh. was, I was just horrified. I, you know, well, like why, of all, why did they want to distract you? Because they were in competition with me. It actually took me 20 years to figure it out, that they were in competition oh. with me because that's the culture of law, that okay. I, I was doing too much. I might... Um, I might have them not look as good and I might, I I think it's crazy to imagine that me with seven kids in my thirties graduating from law school was going to, I was going to be somebody who uh, wanted one of those jobs in a big law firm where competition was going to impact them. Mm -hmm. But, um, but I decided then and there, I was not going to be a lawyer. They were all jerks. (laughs) And um, I was going to just be our family lawyer. I was going to, you know, pass the bar and um, and so forth. Well, I got a divorce in law school, so um, I still needed some some family lawyering, but not as much. I didn't have as much so, civil disobedience. And um, so I, I took my first job out of law school, uh, from the volunteer work I'd been doing with domestic violence and and children, and uh, became the uh, director of a domestic violence and sexual assault program. Mm. And um, uh, it was, um, you know, it was, it was a good job for me because I, I was a liaison with the court. I created a, the first domestic violence task force, probably in the country. They came and studied my task force. You yeah, know, I was, I was really active. Then I had a falling out with my board uh, where um, they thought that we ought to be doing more mental health work for the women, that the women were the problem. And, um, and I took exception to that. <laughs> hmm. And uh, in the middle of the conflict, they, um, uh, uh, they turned down a grant that I had raised money for. And I um, decided I wasn't going to work there anymore and resigned. Hmm. And um, so then I went on a search for what I was going to do next. Hmm. And uh, I had a bunch of not very interesting jobs. Uh, that were just, you know, to put money on the table. And every time I interviewed, uh, I would go in and I would say, "I'm not a lawyer." Uh, I and I, I would make uh, make lawyers wrong, make the profession wrong. And for some strange reason, uh, that toxic neg- negativity did not get me the good jobs. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, uh, so during that time, I started doing a lot of personal growth work, and I, one of the ways I know is through our common work of Landmark Education. Mm. And um, there was a course called Wisdom. I was living in North Carolina by then, and I drove to um, Atlanta for this course called Wisdom. And in the course, there was a, a man from Chicago, and he stood up and he introduced himself to the community, and he said, um, "My name is Forrest Baird, and I'm a lawyer," which. I perked up because we all have radar for each other. Mm-hmm. And he said, uh, I practice law in a way that grants dignity to everyone. Mm. And I'm a divorce lawyer. And I think that it's my job at the end of every divorce that my client and their ex are friends so that they can uh, raise their children together. Mm. Mm. And that was one of those moments where, the sky opened up and birds sang and everything went from black and white to color. Mm -hmm. And I said, I can do that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That is law worth practicing. Well, and so I'd been through that adversarial model and I knew that it didn't work. And I, and then I had this new vision from Forrest, and it turned out there was a movement that was just starting. This was in 1993 and about two years before, um, a um, guy uh, whose name is Stu Webb uh, created a, ma- a model called the collaborative uh, collaborative law mo- model. And Stu and um, Stu and Forrest were connected, and so there were other people doing this, and they had the same idea that it didn't have to be so adversarial. So, and what that, is collaborative law? So, collaborative law me, uh, like if um, in a, it's often used in divorce. It can be used in a lot of other uh, models. But uh, where the people are getting a divorce, um, they actually make a commitment that they're going to work together to create a new future rather than fighting about it and letting some external force tell them how it's going to be. You know, uh, one of my colleagues used to say to his clients, um, would you let a judge buy a house for you uh, based on what you could tell him? And um, and like you know, you could never say all of the things, and so when you go to court, you can never give all of the information that uh, a, that somebody needs to make a decision, and um, and then they don't understand your situation. But let's take it back and take the power to back to the people who are living it, and um, and then the lawyers become coaches and facilitators in the process, and they bring in neutral experts so. Maybe uh, maybe one of the children has a, has special needs, and they bring in somebody who's an expert that says this is how we're going to deal with this child. Or um, a financial advisor comes in and says, "Okay, so there's some complexity here. Like the tax consequences of dividing this are um, are complicated, and so maybe you want to keep this asset whole and um, and and this other asset. Or uh, there's a. Uh, there's a tendency that the woman gets the house and the man gets the um, investment accounts and the investment accounts continue to grow. And the house is, um, you know, like is not, you know, the value may increase, but it, um, it, it's also something that is a liability to take care of and to maintain and all that kind of stuff. So how do we make that easier and simpler uh, and more equitable? And so those are the kinds of conversations we have. Is that you know like um like what what are your values as parents? How are um you know how are you going to work together? How are you going to create a model of communication that is going to work for your particular children? So um, let's say um uh you know you've got teenagers teenagers um love to manipulate divorced parents they love to manipulate anybody but divorced parents are ripe for it <laughs> and so the parents might want to for example create a uh, weekly meeting where they talk about what's really going on so that when the kid says oh well mom said this or dad said that they've already had the conversation or uh, with toddlers um, uh, you know like how are you you know how are you going to handle the daycare pickups and you know, and all that kind of stuff. So you work out all of those kinds of details into your agreement based on what you're trying to create. I'll, it I'll, sounds I'll like
0: you. bespoke law, you know.
2: It, it, it is, it is. And, you know, so for example, um, I would have them uh, my client create a vision of why they were in the process. And then the other lawyer would have them do the same thing. And so one of my clients created that it was her goal to dance at her daughter's wedding, which was coming up in a few months with him so that they, the animosity would not be there, that, you know, that they didn't wanna ruin their daughter's wedding with, uh, with their adversarial uh, mess. And so they, uh, uh, they, they had that as their guiding light, you know, like, is this going to help us dance together at our daughter's wedding? And then they did. I, I think for
0: most people, this is unimaginable
2: you know,
1: it's so simple, isn't it?
0: I mean, it is so simple yeah, in a yeah, way, not yeah. easy necessarily, no, but definitely no. simple.
3: Yeah.
0: How does this then, can you tell us about integrative law? Is that,
2: is that connected to collaborative law? Yeah, I, I used to look at it as an umbrella, but now I'm looking at it more as a, um, as as like the ground. You know, I, there, there are some movies out and some things about how how the soil um, is so important to what we grow, mm. and the uh, mycelium, uh, you know, the fungi that are there. There, you know, there are all sorts of things, and I, and I think that it, that integrative law is that soil. So we have a lot of things in common. We share some values. Um, we have um, a, a mindset in common, and uh, and so wherever we are as lawyers. Uh, uh, or clients who are looking for lawyers, we come from that place, and so then we look at what's growing here. And so, perhaps, um, if you're if you're a divorce lawyer, that collaborative law is the way to go. But if you're in the criminal law area, then it might be restorative justice or a problem solving court. So that all of these are different expressions of the same mindset the same energy
1: so it's, it's really okay. about i hit what i'm hearing is it's really about starting with purpose sorry misha I didn't mean to that's uh,
0: okay it's, we're it's, both it's, having thoughts at the yeah, same time it's
1: yeah. very much about starting with a purpose it's starting with why right as the title of that book says you, you you're asking yourself what's at stake here what what is the what is the value look like here that we're trying to preserve or create and then approaching it from from that side. It's a more holistic way of approaching things rather than this, as you say, this combative, agonistic kind of a model,
2: right? Yeah, it recognizes our interconnectedness Mm. because if we we have um, been in a relationship or are getting into a relationship, we we use this model with contracts and startups and and things like that as well, um, then um, we're going to intertwine. We're going to weave together and, uh, you know, from the divorce perspective, you've got all the in-laws that uh, are still engaged in the same set of conversations. Uh, um, you've got, um, you know, the school um, and the teachers. And, you know, there are, there are a, lot of, uh, a lot of people out there who are part of this. And if you are at war with each other, it's going to impact them. And your children. I I always say that um, if you're at nuclear war with your spouse, the fallout is on your children. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, having parents who recognize that they can be adults, (laughs) fully functioning adults, um, and uh, and move on with their separate lives. Yeah. um, Or like in the case of contracts, you know, we, we have that conversation. Like, what is your purpose? Why, you know, why are you here? Yeah. What's your vision? Well, you yeah. know, why would you do this contract with this person? Yeah. And and we build that into the contract, and then we say, and this is true of all of the different approaches. How are we going to resolve what inevitably will come up? There are going to be changes. There are going to be um, conflicts that come up. I mean. Especially people who've been married, they're, they're not married because they had some conflict. Um, so how how are we going to resolve those? And you know, are we are we going to run to court every time? I mean, because that's what some people do. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, so we put in a system in the contract that says um, we're going before you can go to court. You have these three steps that you create based on your situation um, before you can go to court.
0: So it sounds contrary to how most people think of lawyers, they think of them as wanting more time in court or more hours. You're actually working to the opposite. You're working in service of your clients so that they don't have to spend more hours and more time in court.
2: Yeah, well, it, it's putting the decision making back on the people
0: mm-hmm.
2: and, 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 and that, which gives them more power and I would say more freedom. Mm-hmm. But they again, they have to be responsible. And and the court then is saved for like things that where courts are needed like I always say if somebody's putting toxic waste in my water, I do not want to compromise with them
3: mm-hmm. you know
2: I, I, I want the court to be there to resolve an issue like that. if I'm wrongly accused of a crime, I want the court to have to prove that um, I committed the crime because I'm hoping that I'm that they're not going to be able to do that. Um, you know they're, they're misuses of power that yeah. the court can be used for. And I yes. think that's, that's the proper use of the court, but, uh, you know, whether Johnny brought his backpack home is not the proper,
0: <laughs> right. proper mm. use right. of that's, the court. It's mm, 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 <laughs> mm. just, that's some really great broader perspective, you know, I, so I'm, as I'm understanding it, integrative law, all these different, so family law could lead to collaborative practices uh, criminal law, you said, could lead to restorative justice, um which I'd like you to say a little bit more about yes, I was are there say. other yeah, <laughs> are there other forms of or other areas of law that integrative law cover or can cover?
2: Yeah, many, many. Um, around the world, lawyers have sort of come from this mindset and this consciousness, if you will. Um, and uh, they don't know that anybody else is out there. they're just the weirdest lawyer in town, and so they create their own models right and then some of us get together and we like um i I have been doing conscious contracts for a while, but we called it something else. I met somebody ten almost twelve years ago now uh, who also was doing a model and we came together and we called our combined model conscious contracts and so um, they're probably I could probably List off 50 different expressions that are holistic, that are uh, you know, like sharing law is about, um, like you know, living in a sharing economy, and what are the agreements and, um, and you know, barriers that uh, need to be dealt with. So, yeah, you know, so we're thinking about Ar-
1: Airbnb and Uber and so forth here, where you
2: know you? that has grown out of the sharing economy sort of like that, our willingness to participate in them, mm-hmm. but, um, but they're more, uh, they're more old paradigm than, um, than sharing law. Sharing law is your whole neighborhood uh, gets together and, um, and um, somebody gives the shed and you put all your extra tools in there.
3: Mm.
2: And you don't, why does the neighborhood need a ladder at every house? Mm-hmm.
3: Absolutely, uh, or yeah. a carpet
2: yeah. shampooer, sure. or whatever. Mm. And mm. so you 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 know you get together. You just say you're going to share the big stuff. You put it in there. Somebody falls and breaks their neck uh, because the ladder wasn't well maintained. Who's responsible?
1: Right. That's because that's where my mind went. You know, I'm <laughs> like, if I lend my ladder to my to my neighbor Bob, actually he would probably lend me a ladder. But let's say let's say I, I lend somebody a ladder and they fall off of it. Uh, that's that's nerve-wracking. And I, I'm, I'm therefore inclined, I don't go around offering my ladder to people, if you know what I mean. I mean, if they come to me and I'm like, I know you and, you know. But, yeah, I mean, that's that's a that's a big thing. And, I, I you know, this is one of those simple but potentially very profound changes you could make in society, right? I mean, that's a lot less stuff. That, I mean, you know, there could just be one shed. And you still have the level of, like, rental companies. Like, if I want, I want to rent a bulldozer, I mean, you'd need an right. awful lot of neighbours to justify having a bulldozer right you know uh, but, right. but yeah ladder that's perfect because how often do i use my ladder oh my gosh you know right. twice a year
2: and you have to store it and you have to have a bigger house yeah. to store your ladder <laughs>
1: yeah absolutely that's right yeah it's yeah. true yeah yeah or you so
2: have to good. call a workman to come because you don't have a ladder you know the, yeah yeah all yeah. of those sorts of things and the idea that you could uh, get together with your neighbors and have that conversation mm. and, uh, mm. and uh and uh and and, and create agreements uh, of how that's going to be handled. It's so interesting because even just thinking about uh, you're having me think of getting
0: together to talk to create a legal agreement with my neighbors as something good, <laughs> mm. not as something coming from fear.
3: Mm. You
0: know, whereas mm. normally when I think of oh my god, I have to talk to my neighbors and a lawyer, it's something that's automatically adversarial. And yet, I like. Yeah, I really see that it's a complete shift in how we relate to lawyers, how we use lawyers, how we use the law.
2: I saw something today on my neighborhood app. Um, there's a music concert near here, um, and it was really loud. And apparently it was so loud that like three miles away, they thought it was the neighbor having a party. Like, wow. and, uh, and they put something out on the app and, and people say, call the police, call the police, call the police. So think about the world where you don't know your neighbor well enough mm. to call them up and say, "Are you having a party?
3: Yeah.
2: Was I not yeah. invited?" Yeah. Or you know, yeah. or, or something like that. That you actually have a relationship with that neighbor, and that um, and that you're uh, instead you're going to call the police to come out with their guns drawn. <laughs> you know, uh, you yeah. know all, all of the terrible things that can happen uh, when that 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 could go wrong. Yeah. Yeah. what so again I, wow the shift i'm hearing is rather
0: than pulling people apart you're actually encouraging people to come together and communicate yeah we had an issue with our neighbor who played loud music. And I I kept saying, I want to go talk to her to say, hi, bring some baked goods, introduce myself and just say, you know, we go to bed earlier. Do you think that maybe, you know, blah, 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 right? And have a conversation. Well, this is a condominium with a board full of lawyers, and I'm pretty certain they're not collaborative lawyers. (laughs) And the concierge has said, do not speak to your neighbor. Do not mm. try to communicate with them about that.
2: Let us handle it. Oh, my. Yeah.
1: That's sad. Right? Yeah.
2: And, yeah. and so, so you're, you've allocated your power to someone else. Yes. And this is about taking your power back. Mm. Yes. And, if, and, and the people who are closest to the issue mm. can then make the decisions. And you're, you're going to have to do some things like you're going to have to learn how to apologize. You know, you're going to have to learn to forgive people. You're going to have to learn communication um, and um, and tolerance and patience and, and they're They're also going to be doing that, but you're not that strange woman who calls the police every time they turn on the record player or. Exactly.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Mm. Well, uh, can you speak a little bit, because I I want to bring it back to these kinds of personal issues, but for those people who aren't familiar with restorative justice, which you mentioned earlier,
2: can you give us a little, uh, definition perspective on that? Um, the short definition is healing the harm of crime. Mm. And, uh, and that's everybody. That, like the person who um, committed the crime gets healed. The person who was the victim of the crime gets healed. And the neighborhood gets healed. So that's the goal. There are probably a hundred different ways that that can happen. Uh, back in, um, in the early 2000s, I was working uh, in the field of restorative justice with murder cases. Now you actually you uh, can't bring. So you, the you didn't back. start
1: with like uh, he you know he vandalized the wash basin at the. at the <laughs> yeah, bathroom most down people the park. do. we were like let's just yeah.
0: <laughs> most
2: people I, do. I think We're getting Kim. You're a kind of dive into yeah. the deep end sort yeah, of person. I, so. I do. I dive into yeah. the deep end. I I um I was working with somebody co mediating divorces, and he said um, he said you know divorces are harder than murder cases. Hmm. Um, because uh, because um, they have a relationship that has gone wrong, um, and most of the time the murder cases, you know, like actually it's not true, but most cases murder cases are are strangers, mm. and that uh, and you don't know all of the nuances of the relationship and all that. And so um, I started working with him on the murder cases. So I did I, I kind of skipped a few steps. It's mm. it's a great model for things like you said vandalism. You know, small small things. Like, you know, for example, let's let's use that as an example. Let's say um the neighbor's kid um breaks a window.
1: This is hilarious, but and I'll I'll explain why in a second. So go on, please. Yeah.
2: Um so the neighbor's kid breaks a window and um and nobody knows who it was.
1: Mm.
3: So
2: the neighborhood then has this was somebody trying to break in, you mm. know, like there's this ripple that goes through the neighborhood that everybody sure is trying to figure out what's going on mm. there's the kid is like i've done something really bad i mm. am a bad person mm. Mm. Um, um and um and you know the parents are, are are clueless and if somebody accuses little johnny they'll say well you know uh he couldn't possibly have done that he's a good boy and you know we have this mess and the you know let's, let's say the um it's an elderly woman um who has um had her window broken, and then she's afraid to go out. So so the way the old legal system handles that is they do an investigation and fingerprints or whatever, probably hmm. not that, Yeah. you know. But if yeah. they find the kid, they're going to put him in um, some kind of, a you know, um, juvenile detention or, you yeah. know, they're, they're, they're going to punish kind of thing. him.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah. And the restorative justice system one of the possibilities might need to be to bring them all together. Like, like, you know, once you have to have the person who did it, but bring in little Johnny and the woman whose window was broken and his parents and maybe his coach, um, and, you know, like the people who are important somebody who represents the neighborhood yeah. and then have a conversation about how that impacted me.
1: Yeah. It, you know, like I it, was
2: afraid to go out.
1: It's such, such a funny example because I had here this morning, a 10 year old boy and his, his, He's one of his two moms. He has two moms. Um, so he he's a little fella for his for his age. He's 10. And so his buddies boosted him up through a window into the bathroom at a public park near here. Well, the park was full of people and they broke a wash basin. And, and so he's been fined 60 bucks and there's going to be some court fees too. So I needed a, a border of rocks around, around my house. I said, let's get Darren down here and put a little border of rocks in. So, you know, he got to spend some time with me and it was kind of... Gave him some dignity. We, we, we handed the money to him and we said, okay, so what happens to this money now? And he turned and he handed it to Tara and he said, this is for the judge. And we were like, good man, you know? And it just felt yep. so good, you know? To- yes,
2: exactly. So in that circle, you might say that, um, that uh, he has to pay for the window by doing yard work for the old lady. And then there's a connection there mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, that the, yeah. The, uh, like she's no longer afraid because she has a face. To put on, right. this You know, you know, previously unknown demon.
1: Yeah, and probably has a grandson who's probably of his si- grands- Similar, yeah, yeah. similar make and, and model, right? <laughs>
2: yeah, I mean, it, it, it heals the harm. Yeah. Of um, of crime, and it can be done at that level, uh, at the murder case level, uh, the family very often the thing that they want to know is like, they want to know what really happened. Yes. Because knowing one, what really happened story is, um, it's not as, as uh, hard as a hundred possible happenings. Yes, yes. Did, did she cry for me? Did, you know, like, yeah. Uh, whatever. Yeah. yeah. And um, so they have a chance to actually hear the, what happened. They get to look in the eyes of the person that they have demonized, and yeah. and that and in the process that person has been worked with so that he or she can powerfully apologize and take responsibility, and um, and and then they look to see how can some amends be made. So, for example, there's a famous New York Times case where um, two kids had grown up. Their families were friends. Um, he um, the the young man killed his girlfriend and uh, and they um, they went into the process, the restorative justice process, and um, he's he's doing time. and um, in in prison, he's actually uh, participating in a program where he is telling his story and uh, apologizing and all of that. and he Uh, when he gets out, he's going to have to um, do talks at schools about dating violence and about managing anger and and those sorts of things. And so uh, the parents got some comfort from that agreement, and they were able to stay friends with his parents who had been their friends all along.
0: Wow. Amazing. You know, uh, there are so many relationships today in the circumstances we find ourselves in where relationships are being divided. Um, how can we use these principles and practices to bring more freedom into our relationships?
1: Yeah, we, we, we have a question we ask here on every episode. What can we do? And, and you, you, you began to speak to it, I think, when you said about allocating our power to people and taking our power back. But what what can, what can we do? What actions can we take? starting you know maybe even right away just to create five percent more freedom in that area of relationship or just uh, across our lives
2: i think that one of the shifts is from transactional to relational Hmm. that we have uh, designed a lot of things to be very transactional and arm's length it's like the um, person who says call the police because you have music it's like like those are not real people over there Mm -hmm. those are just Mm -hmm. people who are a problem like labeling them as a problem when you um look at it from a relational perspective then you're looking at um how is this impacting that person and um and um and what might i be doing in that same place Mm. so there's a compassion empathy component um there's um really getting clear about how to apologize and how to forgive, which are um, lifelong trainings.
0: (laughs) So so I really want to underscore this because I think that, you know, apology has to do with taking responsibility. And I think people see responsibility, most people see responsibility as a burden, and not as an opportunity, and certainly not a freedom. And yet, we all know we have some experience of when we have taken full responsibility for something the the I mean freedom is is the biggest word, but even pride, joy, confidence like there, there's just layers and layers that come with that. so this would be a really good practical five percent thing. How do we apologize? So
2: there's actually sort of a formula I'm going to try to try to get it the first thing is to say what you did say what happened say what you did without excuse right so you don't tell your, the justification you did in your head yes. you say I I broke your window yes and um, and then you make the apology from from that like you know like, if you want to tell the rest of the story that's after you've done this part. I broke your window, and I am really sorry, or whatever the right words are. And this is what I'm going to do that's within my power to make amends. This may not fully uh, make you whole, but this is what I can do. Mm. Is that enough? Do you see something else that I could do that is within my power to make you whole?
0: So let's say that the person, they've said that, and the other person is still very upset, they're really angry, they're not accepting of it, or they make a demand that is not acceptable to the person apologizing. What would be the next thing to do?
2: I think, um, I think going back and apologizing and taking responsibility. You can't, you can't force forgiveness.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And um, and in fact, um, those are not connected in the law or in in the restorative practices because when um, like you can't you can't make an apology in order to get forgiveness.
0: Right. So you just mm-hmm. that's a
2: separate issue. It's a separate issue. yeah. And some things are 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 terrible. I, my friend whose um, daughter was murdered, um, took eight years to forgive the person who killed her daughter. Um, and she's an activist in the forgiveness movement, <sighs> you know, and, you know, um, the, it's a process too, but it's part of almost every faith tra- tradition. Yeah. Um, and, um, and so, uh, it, you know, it's something to work on, but, uh I mean, in a restorative justice process, if somebody wasn't able to get to that place, we wouldn't put them face to face because we don't want um, to create that victimization of the person who is trying to um, to apologize as well. That's a really good point, because I think sometimes
0: we I know for myself, I have a tendency to want to do the right thing before I might be ready to do that thing because I think it's right to do, but it's not authentic yet to do. So I think we have to forgive ourselves first for wherever we are. And so here's a 5%. I'll throw this out there as a 5% tip is um, what if we if there's somebody in our lives who we are having a contentious relationship with mm. right now.
1: Who we've wronged, we perhaps, could, just simply that, right? Who,
0: who, sorry, who we've wronged. Who, who we may so have wronged, say. yeah. We mm. may have wronged or we may feel wronged, yes. right? Mm. So on either end, the first thing we can do to experience 5% more freedom, either right away or in, within the next week, might be to look at where was I responsible?
2: Where was I responsible
0: Maybe we're not ready for that conversation yet, but just that 5% might just be, where was I responsible without blaming myself?
1: And then taking, that's that's taking our power back. In a funny way, yeah. we've come full circle, have we, because your your second ex-husband used to say, you know, uh, uh, was it freedom freedom is the value and responsibility is the cost? I'm, I'm mangling it a bit here. But yeah,
2: freedom yeah. is the goal, responsibility is the price.
1: Right, so, so uh, it's how much, you know, we have to be willing to pay the price for things, right? Otherwise we're... We're borrowing or stealing, right? So, yeah, yeah.
0: Well, we would love to have you back <laughs> to mm. talk more about, uh, I'd personally love to hear about how we create a powerful purpose of yes. any kind. Yes. And your journey has been extraordinary. And I have to say, for those of you who are going to to check him out, her website, com. that's uh, j-k-i-m-w-r-i-g-h-t.com, is so <laughs> extensive it and really my is. favorite part yeah. was the things you might not know about Kim. <laughs> I just, I devoured that. It was just wonderful. I learned so much about you. What an yeah. extraordinary woman you are and uh, we are so grateful to have had you here. Thank you. Uh,
1: absolutely. Yeah, thank you thank, very thank much. Thank you so much. Thank you. So, um, we'd just like to acknowledge as always our wonderful sound engineers, that's Toby Leach and, uh, uh Caitlin, they're over there in the UK, um, toby leach also composed our music and uh, if you'd like to contact them we're going to put their, their contact details in the show notes they are really a one-stop shop if you're thinking about starting a podcast it's been a fantastic experience working with them and uh, obviously as always I'd like to thank mishka and, and in this case our wonderful guest kim and we can't wait to have you back Kim. i hope, I hope you'll join us again